what's up everybody so here we are the final judgment has been rendered and all unbelief has been punished all fallen angels have been sentenced as well all that remains are the good angels and the and the believers all of which have eternal glorified bodies at this point all sin has been destroyed and purged from existence except for that which exists in the lake of fire and the lake of fire is a permanent residence for all sin those who are exiled there will live in their perpetual sin and torment uh, will be their reward for eternity. Now comes the time for all things to be made new, just like Jesus spoke long ago. Remember, in our previous episode, we talked about how John saw all the of the universe and everything in existence outside of heaven vanish in a moment. God simply erased everything, and now he will make a new heaven and earth. They will be free of sin and perfect in every way. This was God's plan from the start. Revelation 21.1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So let's stop right here and just address the fact that things are going to look very different from what we're used to. John says there will be no sea you know, ocean. It doesn't say that there aren't any rivers. Just it just says there's there's no sea or oceans. So we know here that, as we'll learn, that there will only be one body of water that we know of for sure. There could be other rivers, maybe, but there's no sea, no ocean. But we do know there's one river that will exist at least, and that is the river of life that flows from the throne of God. So, but we will get to that later. That raises a question though. Why did God create the first earth with so much water? And water is essential to life on this earth. Without it, all life would die. Genesis 1.1 says that the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So when the world was formless, there was only water. But on this earth, there is no sea or ocean. The only water we know of is the river of life that comes from the throne. Now, God knew before, the, before creation that sin would be part of the equation. It is unclear when Satan rebelled exactly, but we only know that it was definitely before he appeared to Adam and Eve in the garden. That being said, God knew that sin would enter the story, just like he knew there would come a point in human history that he would need to purge the earth of the wickedness that would engulf it by the time you know it reached Noah's age. So... God had already decided how he was going to purge the earth, so he designed it with that in mind. God purged the earth with a great flood using the water that made up the majority of the planet. Furthermore, it shows that God is the creator and sustainer of life. It exists based on what he says is needed for it to exist. Currently, we need things like the sun, moon, water, atmosphere, you know, exact. We have to be at the exact distance from the sun, etc., because that is how he designed it. We haven't found life anywhere else in the universe because that is how he designed it. The universe is meant to show how big and powerful God is, while also showing how incredibly precise and complex his creation is. Okay, let's move on. Verse 2 through 3 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, uh, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. 
they will be his people and God himself will be there, will be with them and be their God. Unlike before, this Jerusalem is not built by human hands. It is already built by God and exists in heaven, but we will not see it while we are in heaven, you know, before this time. It will be held out of sight, most likely, until this time comes, so that it is a surprise, hence the wedding reference. There was a time that once, you know, once you got betrothed, you didn't see your bride until the wedding day. This will be a, a special day that God reveals his dwelling place on earth and where he will once again dwell among man. There will be no temple. Uh, also, the analogy of the bride and groom shifts. Currently, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. But now the analogy shifts to Jerusalem. The Spirit of God dwells within the body of the church. The Spirit dwells within each believer, should I say, because we are the temple and the bride. Um, we are the temple and the bride, should I say. But on the new earth, Jerusalem is depicted as the bride because it is where the Holy Trinity will dwell. The fullness of God will once again walk among us, among men. The new Jerusalem is prepared for us in, in a sense, but it is ultimately prepared for God as, so that he, after restoring creation to a perfect state, could once again walk among his creation without you know, destroying us with his presence. We will come back to Jerusalem being the bride of the Lamb during this time, but for now, let's move on. Verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the day, you know what, that we all long for. No more pain or sorrow or fear or sickness. Of, or, you know, sickness will be forgotten. Getting old will be a thing of the past. Anyway, verse five says the Lord tell you know, verse five uh, the Lord tells John that He is making everything new. That is why the universe and all that was created vanishes, and everything is made new and untainted by sin. It is perfect, and with our eternal bodies, or our glorified bodies, we are sinless and are perfect as well before God. I know some of you can't wait for that day for sure, but Jesus tells John to write these things down, for they are trustworthy and true. Verses 6 through 7, He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. At this point, the work of perfecting his creation you know, and restoring it, uh, restoring us for his glory is done. And he will give us access to the water of life that flows from the throne. We will inherit all of this because we are victorious, meaning we have overcome sin and death and the enemy through the power of his blood. You know, verse 8 again reminds us that all unbelievers and demons will remain in the lake of fire and will never enter the city. This also reminds us that the lake of fire will exist somewhere. We just don't know exactly where that will be. Now, John is taken to a high mountain by one of the angels that poured out the last plagues uh, during the tribulation period. And here John is shown what is now referred to as the bride of the Lamb, the new Jerusalem. So at least we know there will be uh, mountains on this earth, on this new earth. Now, regarding the bride of the lamb analogy, the church can no longer be viewed as the bride of the lamb because it is that it is limited to 
the church only, the Gentiles or the, the believers that come during the, the church age or the age of the Gentiles, should I say. But Jesus has saved Israel as well, and they also belong to him. Both Jew and Gentile have been reconciled to God and given glorified sinless bodies. The Jew and the Gentile are essentially one in Messiah now. So now the city becomes the bride of the Lamb to show that both the church and Israel belong to him. All who have put their faith in him are equal before him. As you will see, the new Jerusalem is a city whose foundation is built to commemorate Israel and the church. Its very foundation testifies that both belong there. John also says that it comes down out of heaven from God. So we know it is hidden somewhere there until this appointed time. In verse 11 it sh- it shone with it's, it says that it shone with glory with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal so basically the new jerusalem will shine bright like a diamond anyways verse 12 it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel so there are multiple things that cover uh, to cover here that deal with the symbolism and of this description. The walls of the city are too high for anyone to climb, and as you will see, they're they're also way too thick to ever be knocked down, and they have angels guarding the gates. So why all this protection? You know, this is purely symbolic uh, in reference to the to the state of protection. Uh, and safety that it exhibits in the description, you know, but it's purely symbolic and exists to testify to uh, God's greatness. There is no wickedness or enemies at this point. The walls and angels guarding the gates are meant to stand as a testament to the security, strength, and safety found in God. Now, notice that there are 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It is interesting that the gates bear the names of the 12 tribes because it is through these gates that one enters the city. And it was through Israel that the Savior came bringing salvation to the world. So essentially, we entered into the family of God through the gates of Israel, so to speak making it possible for man to enter heaven or more specifically enter this new Jerusalem one day. Israel became the gateway through which God would reveal himself to man and ultimately the gateway through which God would provide a savior. Also, it says that there are three gates on each side, the north, south, east, and the west. So three tribes are mentioned uh, on the north gates and three on the south gates, three on the west gates, and three are mentioned on the east gates. This has been foreshadowed since the time of the tabernacle, in a sense, because when God would have the 12 tribes positioned around the tabernacle in the days of Moses, um, they did it the exact same way. You know, there was three tribes that would camp on each side of, uh, of the tabernacle. And I imagine those tribes where they were positioned back then, that's the names that will be, that will be written on those gates on that particular side of the city. Now, verse 14 says, The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now we see the foundation for the walls, and there are 12 layers to the wall's foundation, which represents the 12 apostles, which in turn represent the church. 
like the 12 tribes were uh, the foundation of the Jewish nation, the 12 apostles were the foundation for the church, which ushered in the Gentiles into the family of God. The church is the foundation upon which the gospel went forth. But to bring it back full circle, the apostles were also Jewish as well. So the church was founded upon the Jew. Though they failed at being the priesthood nation, God still used the Jewish people to spread the gospel to the Gentiles and to the rest of the world. So next, John measures the city gates and walls. Verse 16, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide as it is high as it is long. Now take a moment to try and process this. 12,000 stadia is roughly 1,400 to 1,500 miles. To put that into perspective, that is the distance roughly from Virginia to Colorado. And John says that it is a perfect cube. So this city is basically the size of the U.S. almost. It is, but high as well, it is over 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and 1,400 miles or more high. Now, the last part is staggering. The city will be over 1,400 miles high. I mean, in this current world, that is out of this world, so to speak, reaching into space where satellites currently orbit orbit the Earth. That also tells you this new Earth will, will not be the same size or built the same way that we are accustomed to. We already know there is no ocean or sea, and it is possible there is no atmosphere or outer space as we know it today. John says the the um, he says that the angel uses human measurement simply so that we can try to grasp the breathtaking magnitude of the city. Next, the angel measures the walls, which are 144 cubits thick, and that equals about 200 feet thick. That is more than half, more than half of a football field, and thicker than an Olympic swimming pool is long. That is a massive and a testament to God's strength and the security that, that is found in his presence. Also, note the measurements are, are used, the measurements that are used are comprised of the numbers 12 and 144. So 12 represents God's governance through man. You know, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, and 144 is simply 12 times 12, just like the 144,000 mentioned in the tribulation time. 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, of course, you're 144,000. You know, this city is riddled with symbolism to remind us of all he has done throughout the ages, you know, through us and apart from us. It shows you to also, it shows you also that God is a God of order and precision. Every detail exact and accounted for. Every detail has a purpose. John goes on to say the walls are made of jasper, which has a reddish, you know, reddish brownish uh, color. And the city is made of pure gold, pure as glass. And the 12 layers to the foundation of the wall are made from 12 precious stones, the same stones that were worn on the ephod or breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. The 12 stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel in that day, and here they represent the 12 apostles, who were also Jews from the 12 tribes. So anyways, you get the point with that. Then he says that, each of the 12 gates were made from a single pearl and the streets were paved with gold. This is where uh, we get the reference to, you know, walking the streets of gold and the pearly gates analogies. 
Now, the English word for pearl is derived from Sanskrit, meaning pure. Also, uh, a fine pearl is a valuable treasure that needs no polishing or cutting by man. It is created by God without human interference. The gates always remain open, but they are a symbol of God's pure holiness and perfection. And you know, it is through that that we will enter you know, the city. So we value these precious stones and minerals like gold, but God will use them as a decoration and a building material and pavement that we walk on. God values his children above anything this world considers valuable. John continues by saying that the city will not have a temple because God and Jesus are the temple. Essentially, the temple separated God's presence from man because of God's holiness and man's sin nature. And you know, we had to have the temple to separate the two. You know, otherwise, walking into his presence, you'd have been, you would, it would have killed you. But here there will be no need because we have been made perfect and made holy and sinless, you know, before God and now can dwell. He can dwell among us without any need for a temple to separate us. We can actually stand in the presence of God and not die. John closes out this chapter with a few more details. There will be no sun or moon and there will be no day or night. Day and night were created as a means to track time, but we will not have a need for that. The glory of God will be the light of the world and Jesus will be its lamp. So the glory of God through Jesus uh, will light the whole earth. There will be no darkness anywhere. The, the way it is in heaven now, so to speak, you know, in heaven, there is no sunlight. God's glory is what lights up heaven and there's no darkness. It will be the same on earth, on this new earth. You know, verse 24 just illustrates that the nations or the Gentiles will be, will live according to God's ways fully for the first time and great or small, they will all come to the city to honor God and Jesus. All who live on this earth will, in all their splendor and magnificence, come to the city to honor God and Jesus. But it, it also implies that we will fill the city with the splendor and glory as God's children and you know, as his perfected creation. We are more precious than gold. The gates will never be shut because all are welcome and there is no enemies. Also, there is no nighttime. It is perpetual day, but that is okay because we will, we will not get tired or need to sleep. Clearly, life and the general makeup of all that exists as we know it will be very different. Finally, John closes this chapter by reminding us that nothing sinful or impure will enter this holy city because all of it has been banished to the lake of fire. So only those found in the Lamb's book of life will be allowed to enter. So if you are a believer, then you are a citizen of this great city that we will one day inherit. Okay, guys, that is it for chapter 21. And tomorrow we will finish up uh, a few more details regarding the new earth. Uh, and of course, uh, chapter 22 as well, and concluding uh, our study of the book of Revelation. I can't believe we finally made it. But guys, it's been awesome, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, even when we aren't faithful. There is much that is not said about this new earth and life you know, in this new Jerusalem. And I believe there is much that our minds are just not able to comprehend, and we will have an eternity, though, to explore its wonders. I am 
I am just grateful that my salvation is secured by the blood of the Lamb, and my citizenship in this city will not be revoked because of anything stupid that I do. God, your word shows that you are a God of order and purpose. Help your church find their purpose and bring order to the chaos that sometimes consumes our lives. And may we remember to give you all the glory and honor. Amen.